0: Well, would it seem like the last two weeks, everybody has gone absolutely crazy about Chat GPT. And so in this next conversation on the business of intuition, we got into that new technology and talked about what it means for the human species to have so much of our rudimentary uh, writing being done by AI. And in fact, I took a portion of my interview with my next guest which happens to be recorded and transcribed through a program called Fathom, and asked this program called ChatGPT to summarize it and to create an introduction. And this is what it said. In this, inter- in this conversation, Dean Newland, CEO of Mission Facilitators International, brings up the idea that technologies like ChatGPT may be allowing us to think at a higher level and be more elevated in our thoughts. Oren responded by agreeing that it's an interesting concept and that AI can be leveraged to elevate the more rudimentary and repetitive thinking tasks that we may have to do. They both expressed hope and optimism that this elevation can result in faster processes and breakthroughs with major global issues. Dean then asked Oren a philosophical question about what he believes is the existential or the quintessential human experience. We chatted about a lot of stuff, but that was what Chad GPT summarized, which is not bad. I mean, it's about 80% there. Other things that we did talk about, which didn't cover in this particular automated introduction, had to do with imposter syndrome, had to do with our ability to be intentional about moving forward in our lives, having to do with the mix of technology and its role in our ability to go to a more higher level, almost spiritual elevation of our thinking, and maybe even our species, because some of these lower level human tasks around thinking can be done by automation. And it was just a fascinating discussion. And so let me give you a little bit of background about this guy. His name is Oren Klopper. And uh, he believes that we are definitely an organization, his organization is focused on Supporting the dreams of the doers, which is a fantastic tagline, by the way. He is a CEO of a tech company called Net Surret, a 35 million MSP firm. It grew to 300 plus people and has about 35 million in revenue through acquisitions and organic growth. Globally awarded a dreams program as part of the Net Surret aspirational culture. Net This whole thing about a dreams program, he gets into which I thought was fascinating, not something that he's yet offering to the public, but that they have really indoctrinated into their culture. And I think that there's a lot of great tips and ideas about how culture can be created around dreams and around direction and vision. And he's got an interesting process that I think will be helpful for all of us to hear. Our next guest again is Oren Klopper on the Business of Intuition. Ort, it is a delight having you on the business of intuition. I'm really excited about this conversation. And, you know, before we started hitting the record button, we were talking about really powerful sentence that you have associated with you and your company, which is supporting the dreams of the doers. I just, I love that. It has so much power and so much movement in that. And I want to just sort of tee up this question with this. AI has become so ubiquitous in our life. You know, we've got ChatGPT, which has just gone by storm over the last two weeks, and we are having this conversation on January 16th of 2023. Feels like something very disruptive. So, like, the responsibility and the, the brain work of writers now may very well be supplanted by this AI technology. I'm reading a book right now called The Last Invention, which is all about this idea that AI is going to slowly begin to take over what it is to be human. I think that intuition is one of our last great frontiers of what it is to be human, that it's going to be the hardest to replicate in AI. And so with all of this sort of background description that I provide you, tell us more about this idea around supporting the dreams of the doers when you are also a technology Trump, where technology might be doing things that now more do we need to do. So how do you bring in the doer side of human beings with the fact that you're a tech company? Bring some clarity to that. I think it's a very powerful sense and I want to get into this.
1: Yeah, sure. Now You know, a lot of people in the technology industry, Dean, are, this is their passion. They, they love it. And even though they might be done with their workday, a lot of times the, real, the real, real technical team members and engineers, they're going to go home and play anyway. And they're going to go and play with machine learning. They're going to go and play with uh, various AI-type tools, etc. So we realized pretty early on that we, and just based on the nature of technology and when there is a serious issue or downtime, You need all hands on deck. We realized pretty early on, going as far back as two thousand and four, that if we were going to succeed as a business, we had to have a culture that embraced the idea of doing truly great work, but also that people were balanced and they could be active and engaged parents and partners and whatever capacity they find themselves in life. Uh, So it's something that we I call it aspirational because the bottom line is there are times where Things are very intense, and you might have two or three weeks of not being balanced. But on the whole, our, the aspirations of our culture are that you can be balanced and do truly, truly uh, great work. Because when you just look at the quality of thinking when someone is actually in a place that they're truly engaged, it is significantly amplified. You know, Tony Schwartz and Jim Lew wrote a great book called The Power of Full Engagement where I Love actually- that book. Yeah, I love it. Early on, they were advocating that you could get as much productivity from someone out of an eight-hour day. And it was they were postulating it, but it's actually been proven now that if someone is balanced and healthy and finds meaning in their work and they're able to be to be present in their personal lives as well, you're gonna get a lot more productivity and innovation out of them. So that's really sort of some of the background and context. And then just to talk to your initial point around the likes of ChatGPT and any of this technology that is going to have a significant impact on the way we work what we hope is that that's just going to rise the water level will rise as far as the level of work we can do for our customers to actually have a meaningful impact on their business so take for instance Microsoft Power Platform as an example so Microsoft's Power Platform is a technology stack that is advocating low code development, low to no code development. So what happens if we could leverage the likes of ChatGPT or other AI platforms to write that code, that low code? It just can accelerate the impact that we can have. And there are probably going to be times where we're going to need a reframe and rethink, and our competitive advantage is going to be impacted. But so we've lived in the tech space for a long time, and these changes come about all the
0: time. Well, let's just get, I mean, there's, there's so much on this, uh, and it is the topic of the day, so let's, let's get into it. When it comes to ChatGPT, I found myself needing to write an article, and I thought, what the hell, I'll give it a shot. I created a, you know, please write an article, 500 to 600 words with this particular title, and gosh darn it if it didn't do it. And if it wasn't like 80% there, that I needed to put my own spin, my own voice into it. Now, in the back of my mind, my father, who is long since passed, who was a 35, 40 year reporter for the Minneapolis Star Tribune, is turning over in his grave. I yeah. can feel his space and his energy yeah. going like, What is your point of view, Dean? Why are you, <laughs> said, you know, pushing this off on technology? And I'm a firm believer that writing is a process of thinking. It's a thinking process. And if we just begin to turn that over to technology, then where are we going to get fat, sloppy in our thinking because we don't know we don't write anymore. We no longer are writing as much as we used to. And I gotta tell you, I was at a point in time where I was thinking like, I don't have a lot of time. I got a, I got a deadline. I'm traveling, I'm on planes. Oh, what the hell? Let's try this chat GTP thing out and see if it works. Holy shit, it yeah. worked, right? No. And I started feeling guilty by doing it. You know, So my thought is, how do we create this environment where we have technology that is doing some of this work for us without it eroding some of the things that makes us human? And I guess the yeah. chat GPT thing is part of what I'd wanted to get your thoughts on since you're in the, you're in the space.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now it's interesting I saw that even in the in the New York schooling system they're investing or, or researching to find technology to make sure that kids are actually doing their own work and uh, there are quite a few startups that are, are getting early round funding to do exactly this as well, to be able to see was this actually written or was it some simply AI generated. So I think it'll breed right. its own ecosystem which will carry a whole lot of a whole lot of opportunity. You know, I look back to, you know, I did econometrics as one of my majors at university, and I just think some of the maths that we had to do, and now I never do that maths anymore. So, you said, what you is said, math?
0: math, math. I some, yeah, of math. math. Yeah, some of the yeah. math okay.
1: that I would have to do, uh, reverse integrations, and, and it was just, and I, and I don't really do any of that level of math anymore. So, you know, what impact has that had on my quality of thinking? And I think it's evolved into different places, strategy, differentiation, uh, marketing, M&A. So, yeah, I suppose it's, is it going to have an overall negative impact on the cognitive lifting that we do in respective parts of our lives or our jobs and careers? And hopefully what it does is it elevates the level. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting, a really interesting question. Did you submit your article and how was it received? (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, actually, you know, and I did, I did play around with it. And I do know that there's websites out there that will take your particular chat GPT written article and give you some sort of an indication as to whether or not Google is going to indicate it as being man-made or or machine-made. And then you realize you got to change it up to be able to, you know, look like it was made by you. And and I understand all that uh, to the degree that I can at this point, but, I love the thought that you just sort of spoke to around sort of upleveling our thinking that maybe chat GPT and other types of technologies, which there have been many over the years, right yeah. to your point, you know where we are we no longer walk to work, we drive to work. One could say that we've gotten flabby metaphorically in, in actual ways because we are no longer as physically active because technology is is transporting us around. you know we could make that argument as long as humankind has been around. you know. As soon as we create an innovation, the human being becomes less involved, but it also elevates our thinking. And I'm wondering if some ways, I'm going to go woo-woo on you on this, is that are these technologies allowing us to be thinking at a higher level, being more elevated in our thoughts, maybe even at a kind of an altitude that is more big picture, maybe even more spiritual or intuitive because some of the the grunt work of thinking is being done by AI. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I, no, I think it's, a, it's a really,
1: it's an interesting concept. And I think when we look at most progress that is made scientifically uh, or in engineering or in medicine, nine times out of ten, in that particular uh, new invention, if you would call it, there are seven other inventions that we use to get to that point and hopefully this is how ai can and these types of technologies can be leveraged to just elevate the more rudimentary repetitive thinking and tasks that we might have to do and in turn so we all move a little bit further up maslow's hierarchy you right. uh, know so, yeah, I'm not an expert on it, but I've always been fascinated how sometimes modern scientists are given so much credit for what they've come up with, but there were 20,000 other inventions and white papers and patents that were leveraged to get to that point. And you know, I read the book, Superintelligence on AI, I must have been about five, five years ago. And, you know, the dynamic of the fear of uh, the success of AI, if it were uncontrolled, and mm-hmm. I think that piece is still there, and I haven't yet wrapped my my mind around that, but if it can be harnessed i I must hope it will only it will only do it will only do good because uh, you know you take to give you an example, there's a famous a famous archaeologist slash anthropologist called Professor Lee Berger. He's actually out of Texas. he lives in South Africa, okay and so there is a basin in South Africa where the majority of all prehistoric remains that are the earliest prehistoric remains of mankind and there are just tons of them there and what he did okay to be able to accelerate his progress was he open-sourced the find so now he's found the uh. the, the fossil okay so typically what someone in his position would have to do, you have to go to the government or the university and ask for funds To be able to vet and verify that that find is actually what he thinks it is, there's a massive process in a lot of course, So, open source the find to various top universities around the world. So, this hugely accelerated his ability to confirm carbon dates and do all of these things. And I think there is a hope in in me and optimism that this innovation will result in faster progress and us uh, uh, reaching breakthroughs with
0: major global issues, hopefully a lot sooner. Let me ask you a question. This is very philosophic. We're talking about technology having a place in our lives for good and that it can take some of the grunt work out of being human and relegate it to, you know, a program, an algorithm, etc. From your perspective, what is a quintessential human characteristic that should not be automated, that should not be something that we give technology over to? Yeah, That's a good, good question. I immediately
1: thought of listening. And, you know, when you engage with someone and uh, there's such a good listener, does something to the quality of our thinking and nancy klein wrote a great book called time to think where she talks about listening in your culture in your organization and people know they will be heard and what it does to the overall quality of thinking and sometimes you know when i I was at a friend of mine two days ago and i was sitting just watching his alexa listening because the lights you know the lights move and I didn't feel like my quality of my thinking was amplified by that. I felt like it was disturbed. <laughs> you know? But I think listening actively is something that I don't know if in the context of a human relationship, that is something that can ever be
0: automated. A uh, Great point. And yet you have a tagline that says, we support the dreams of the doers. Can you be a doer and a listener at the same time? Does doing yeah. sometimes cloud out the listening?
1: Yeah. No, so the, there's two two sides to the spectrum. On the one, I love the idea of our dream books in the context of supporting the dreams of the doers, which is basically your top 10 personal goals and dreams visualized. So it takes you through a process of coming up with this list. You might start with 50 or 80. And then you narrow it down to your top 10. so sometimes the, when, when what I've heard myself say in some of our dream group meetings and when we're launching the program, relaunching it every year, we've been doing it since 2008, it, it empowers what you say no. To. So if you mm. know it's not in your dream book or in your goals, what you want, then it gives you a fortitude to say no. But in the same breath, I think, you know, and I added an 11th goal to my dream book two years ago now, and I've left it and I'm <coughs> planning to leave it in for this year, yeah, which came from the book, The Surrender Experiment. And I just put in my last goal, Surrender, and I've got a picture of a, a meandering river. And the, the idea that, you know, what, just keep my heart and soul open because I don't know what else might be coming even though I've got a really clear view of what I do want in my life so yeah I think I think it's good to still keep an open heart and mind and listen to things that are coming your way that might not be on your path or in your set of goals right now but in the same breath say no to the things that are not serving you and that are stealing time and not adding value so yeah I think you can be a great listener and a doer. And I actually go as far as to say, I think my personally, I have constantly wanted to be a better listener. And I think it is such a powerful glue and nurturing dynamic in any relationship. If someone can just feel heard. I
0: agree. I think that we all walk around with that as a kind of a unseen billboard that says, would somebody just listen? Because no, that, that becomes a point of connection, you know, and there's nothing more powerful than feeling that this sentient being with this little shell called skin and bones and flesh is actually has some sort of a connection to other skin and bones and flesh entities out there. And that when we start to feel this connection, we rise up to something that's a greater experience than ourselves. As like somebody on a podcast episode a while back said, basically, you know, our biggest fears are really not public speaking, it's really being alone you know, it's really being disconnected. It's being rejected. It's being forgotten. It's not being included. I mean, these are really core primal, deep seated, you know, zero to seven years old kind of fears that we walk around with by listening to your point. We bridge that gap. And it doesn't mean that in my listening with you that I necessarily agree. It just means that I understand. And that form of understanding, I think we get confused with agreement.
1: No, and and you look at, look, Dean, as entrepreneurs, we often want to fix things. And uh, like I've heard this, you know, so in some of my relationships, uh, someone in my family has had an illness for a long time. It doesn't totally debilitate them, but it gets them down. And I'm always like, okay, but have we tried this? Why don't we do this? And like what I realized over time is they actually just want to know I'm hearing and that I'm actually showing empathy. And I don't actually need to try and fix it, you know. So last year, I had quite a lot of family loss. And, um, you know, so, and I'm an optimist through, through and through. So, and I'm trying to make sense of this loss. And I've been reading this book called The Five Invitations, which is uh. just such a powerful piece of work. And this, uh, this gentleman basically saw thousands of people in the lot through the last hours and days and weeks of their lives. And it's fascinating to hear how many of these people, that concept, they just don't want to be alone. And they just want to feel that someone is hearing them talk and actually being there for them when they cannot fix anything. What's the name of that book again? The Five Invitation.
0: Yeah, I, I think I've heard that, but I, I want to call that out. That's very, very powerful. You know, you're just, Frank Ostaseski is his name. You know, there's... Um, I'm you know my wife and I have a son and he's going through some struggles and I find that I, myself thinking like all right what else can I tell him how else can I give him direction and guidance what what other resource can I do you know I'm always my mind's always on that fix it mode you know and I and I just caught myself as you were saying around just being there to be to listen and to connect and to be present is probably more important than anything else I can do and and when I'm there with him in that space, it doesn't necessarily mean things get better, but at least during that time with him, we have a moment and the moments yeah. are what make make life happen, you know. That's a really a yeah. good reminder. Thank you for that. Tony That's Schwartz, a, you mentioned you mentioned that book, you know, The Powerful Engagement, which is a, a book that was written a while back. And for those of you who haven't read it, it's a great, really interesting book, but he did a great study comparing the way in which we do performance in business versus the way in which we do performance in professional sports. And of course, they're very, very different. My question on the book and around this topic around doing humanity and balance is what is this, your perspective that having that balance and all the things you've talked about with listening and creating these dreams, and clarity around direction. Is that how we keep our humanity? And is that how we keep becoming the, the doers that are fulfilling on their dreams? Is that part of the recipe? Is that balance from the doer to the person who's repairing the, the action-oriented fixer and the person who's also you know, resting and recharging their battery? I mean, say more about all that. Yeah, sure. I think there's um,
1: there's a part in the way we've adopted the process and I'm sure many people do sort of an annual planning in their lives. Think about what worked in the last year and what do they want to change in the year ahead and what would they like to achieve. There's something in the iterative approach of that where each year, I've been doing it since 2004, and each year you 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 reflect on you know, what? how did last year go and what do I want in the year ahead? And as we evolve and change, so what's in our in our goals change. You know, some typical things in someone's life, they go from being single to an inner relationship. You can see it in their dream book in our business. You can see straight away. Then you can see when they've had a child. You can see it very, very kid, you know, and, you know, so I think the iterative nature of it as far as reflecting on what you achieved and then building that into the year ahead, I think is very powerful. But I think outside of the actual top 10 goals and dreams, which is what we call a dream book, just having this vision for your life. A lot of sort of books and people that are experts in this space talk about the idea of take a blank page and write down what do you want your life to look like in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And I think that in itself, is a very powerful a very powerful exercise but there's something dean that that i find happens so like you meet someone or maybe it's in your workplace you kind of met this person you had a coffee you never really you had a very deep conversation you worked on some projects together we can't help but form a view of someone okay and i think one of the most sacred things we can do in our lives is to connect with other humans in a deep and meaningful way So, what I found this process does within our culture, and we, you know, I listened to one of your podcasts where the gentleman was talking about building culture in a remote, in a totally remote workforce. We used to be totally in office. We're mostly remote now, although we do still have office space in all the cities that we operate. Is this, we do this thing called a dream connect. So, where you meet with someone for 30 minutes, okay, and you share a little bit of your life and your goals and dreams. And it's crazy how you could have worked with someone for a year or two, and you think you know them, and then in an authentic way, they share some of their life with you and what they really want in their life. There's something in the human spirit that just makes us connect, if it's uh-huh. done. And And uh, that connection, I find to be, it surprises me every single time, And uh, I just come out of it inspired, you know, because also I think in the human spirit, we want to see people achieve the meaningful good things in their life. Um, So it creates this rising of the water level, the more it happens. So it's, it's definitely, I feel, and maybe just to come back to your question, yeah, I think, you know, the idea of this having a positive impact on one's life, there are many elements of it, which I think really, really do.
0: I love the exercise. You said it was called a dream connect? Yes, that's it. Okay, good. Where well, you sort of share some life history, but also what your dreams are moving forward. Yeah. I'm absolutely on board with that 100%. And I just wanted to ask a question for maybe somebody who's out there listening. That there are certain people at certain times in their life when they can do that. You know, when they are apt, when they're apt to do that, you know. I mean, in a way, what we're doing is we're speaking to the choir, those who are already on board with this idea around, I have the ability to dream and to have some hope that I can fulfill on that. You know, there's, there are times that I remember early on in my career, a long time ago, I would sometimes say, yes, I, I would go through an exercise similar to what you just said in a workshop. And part of me would be a little voice of, of doubt that says, yeah, but this is not going to happen. You know, this is too big, you know, like yeah, yeah, my yeah. parents, ne- my, my parents never even got halfway through. They never created half of what I'm talking about here. Yeah. So there was a, there was a, this imposter syndrome that started to seep in to yeah. my thinking. And of course, and then I felt guilty for having the imposter syndrome because I realized the imposter syndrome was going to be the very thing that was going to hold me back from those dreams, right? Yeah. So then it became this sort of like, you know, a sock in, in in a you know a dryer going around and around and around on this right, and so how can we work with people and maybe we can't where they don't have that sense that they can do their dreams. go, why would I even want to spend time thinking about them? Because it's just an exercise in feeling disappointed. Yeah, no,
1: it's uh, it's such a. <laughs> Such an interesting topic, the imposter the imposter syndrome. So, you know, I'm a member of YPO in the Manhattan chapter, and I'm a member of EO in New York. And some of the most inspirational leaders and entrepreneurs I know have some of the most intense imposter syndrome. Like, to I the agree
0: extent,
1: to the extent. My yeah. one friend, I'm like, I just want to like, we're not allowed to do this in these groups, and I want to firm something. It's like, dude, just stop it already. <laughs> it's like, but like you can't because it's real, I feel it too. And I think, yes, yeah, so there's a piece to it, which I think it's in all of us in some way or another. And, uh, you know, having just seen some of the successful people that I've been able to connect with and they still have it, I think it's such a natural part of being human. And yeah, so it's, it's, and I think that the idea of, you know, so I, my dad passed in May last year, and um, I went. I went through. A, I went through. A, I, I. I. really had like four, three, four months where things were just dark. And I'm Dean. I'm an optimist, and uh, it was a dark period. And I. I saw this quote, and I'm gonna. I, I don't. I don't remember it offhand, but it was something like, "Life is too short to not dream dreams that scare you." You know? yeah. And actually, you know, when, when last did, did and, and this is kind of from a question for myself, when last did I feel butterflies in my stomach? Where I'm like, wow, this is really nerve-wracking. That kind of makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And it's just, you know, I suppose it's we get one, one crack at this, and why not do things that really are going to scare you and challenge you um, and, uh, you know, worst case, you know, you, you, know, if you end up, you want to build a billion dollar business and then you end up building a $10 million business, who would have known what would have happened if you only made a $10 million, you know? So I always think there's right. the dynamic in this thing that unfolds. Yeah. But I, we, so many of us have this imposter syndrome in some way or another and, we all, I mean, I even sometimes have looked at the goals that I've set and in terms of insecurity and be like, wow, that looks crazy.
0: Right, by the way, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. No, thank you. Thank you. I'm it's it's, that, a, it's a hard I, one. That stays with you for a while. And, and uh, I'll, I'll say that, you know, I, I, my, my father passed a while back, but I still think about him almost every other day. You know, he's, he's yeah. a huge force in my life. Like, he's, his messages, his thoughts, his spirit still inhabit my brain. The what I'm getting out of all this, which I didn't really catch before, was that the the work in some ways is to acknowledge the fact that the imposter syndrome and to overcome that, the one the one's ability to believe in oneself is the work. And that the goals that we are going after are almost and the big scheme of things not as important as getting past those imposter signals, That the, the ability to really feel empowered, to really feel that you were totally able to, to move forward without those doubts, and that they, like almost to embrace the imposter series, but this is my work, this is what I'm here to do. The goal that I'm shooting for, whether it be whatever it is, is, is the playing field by which I'm going to create something in my life, but yes. spiritually, deeply, solely, it's to work through some of this stuff that's been holding me back and that we all are held back from. Yes. And, that, and 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 that is quintessential human. That is not AI, that is not, not Chat GPT. That is the evolution of the human spirit.
1: Yeah, I'm saying. No, it makes me think a good friend of mine had a heart scare and he he went for his blood tests and, and he's healthy. Healthy, eats healthy, physically active. Went for a blood tests, didn't pick up anything in his blood. They did a the the one where they kind of do your heart rhythm with a CT, I can't remember what that's called, and didn't pick up anything. And then he did a CT angio and one of his arteries were 90% blocked. So, so I went and, and did it because I'm 48 and uh, there's a for heart disease in my life, in my family. And so they did the, did the angio. So fortunately, no no narrowing, but there is non-calcified plaque build up some level on my artery. So I spoke to my, there's one doctor I really respect very much and he said, this is what you you need to change your diet. So this was two, six weeks ago. And I've changed my diet since then. So I don't have the results saying I've sorted it out. But just the fact that my eating is so controlled and in a better place, I'm literally that sort of self-sabotaging when you just eat bad and you keep on doing it and so forth is gone. So yeah, I think sometimes it's that when you feel you have control of the situation, it almost feels as good as
0: achieving the actual goal. Exactly. I really appreciate that. You're right on. You mentioned something earlier about a dreams program. Yes. Could you give us a high level of what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So uh
1: our dreams program has various parts to it. At the beginning of the year you do your dream book. So there's a process to brainstorm your goals and dreams across the eight spokes of the wheel of life, and then you narrow it down to your top 10. You then get put into a dream group where you meet once a month. So it's a plus or minus eight people in the group, it's During working out. Some people choose to do it at night or on the weekends, whatever it might be. And you share. So one of the methods is a rosebud and a thorn. Do you give an update in the last month? What is a rose? something happy had that happened, what is a bud, something that's starting to happen, and what a thorn, what was something that was difficult, uh, you share your dream group's dream book in that group, so those people get to know you really, really deeply, you can present a challenge you might be facing in your life, and then there's an approach where people can share similar experience, so that's a monthly rhythm, it's typically an hour or two, and then we also have a weekly rhythm in the dreams program, Dean, where you do something called a dreams week in advance, which is before 12 o'clock on a Monday. What are the three things you can do more? Generally, it's three to five. You want to get done this week. That No matter how crazy the week gets, no matter what hits you, you're going to make sure those three to five things get done. And then that, that circulates to your dream manager, so your, your dream coach, sorry. Uh, so each dream group has a dream coach. So that's, it's volunteer led. I've been a dream coach and we get trained on how to coach and manage the group. And then we have a dream manager that manages the program. And that's really the rhythm. And then we track when dreams are achieved and we celebrate those. We also have some nominations where we nominate and we have certain funds available. We can anomin- anonymously nominate the company to contribute something towards someone's dream. And we, we make it very clear because it's supporting the dreams of the doers. We're not saying net sure it's going to make your dreams come true. You're going to make your dreams come true. We're just going to support you.
0: So is this a program that you do within your own company or have you opened this up to other organizations? We happily share with whoever is interested. We don't deliver
1: this as a service or an offering to any companies, but we gladly share. And then there are organizations that do this, that will go in, And train organizations, train their dream managers. You know, so if you wanted to, people wanted that were listening, wanted to get more insight, Matthew Kelly's book, The Dream Manager, is the book that talks about this in the most detail. And then the case study in that book is about a business called Jancoa, J A N C O A. And you can find a lot of it on the web and on LinkedIn. And there's a well of companies that are doing this type of thing uh, in their organizations. And you always find different nuances in how they're doing it. But
0: if anybody wanted to reach out, gladly share whatever our experience has been and any templates or anything we have. Well, let me ask you one last question. And I really have had such a great discussion with you. Um, I could talk to you for hours on this topic. What do you hope people will come away with after hearing you today? Yeah, I think the idea that
1: workplace culture and your personal life are separate is a thing of the past. And any organization that is really trying to have a total separation there, I think you're missing a massive opportunity to change
0: people's lives in a really positive way. Great message. That's a great way to end this. How can people connect to you, Oren?
1: So you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Oren Klopper. And uh, you can also, you can email me. It's oren at But I'm very responsive on LinkedIn. So if you do message me there, I can, I can get hold of me.
0: Well, Oren, it's been a great conversation. And I wish you and your company and your... Your mission of supporting the dreamers, the dreams of the doers, I should say. Uh, It just continues on. I think you're onto something, and I really appreciate your time on this. Yeah, thank you, Dean. Thank you
1: for the work you're doing. And yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. I've done a few podcasts,
0: but hey, this is definitely went that I didn't think it was going to go where it did, and I absolutely loved it. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to MFILeadership.com. That's MFILeadership.com.